as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald, a.k.a. Ursula the Sea Witch from Big Shiny Robot You poor unfortunate soul <laughs> <laughs> And I am Andy Wilson, a.k.a. Citizen Bot, uh, also a Big Shiny Robot uh, so we promised you last week that we would definitely talk about Mockingjay, uh, part two. And so we're going to let Andy take that in a second. Uh, I had to deal with uh, Black Friday Hell Week. So the only movie I got to see was The Good Dinosaur, which I think we both had fun with. Um, and Andy's also going to talk to us about Victor Frankenstein and Creed. But really quickly, uh, give us a quick overview and your thoughts on Mockingjay. So Mockingjay, part two. They took the last book in this series of dystopian fiction novels about kids killing one another uh, Yay. in the future, uh, and turned it into two movies. Um, I We could debate whether that was a smart move or not, but it certainly made them a lot of money by splitting it up, so I think the results speak for themselves. Um, this is not a terrible movie. It's uh, Actually, it's a pretty good movie. Um, I mean, as, as blockbusters go, I actually really liked part one quite a bit it was one of my more favorite movies of last year that being said i think i like this one just the tiniest little bit less i don't know exactly why maybe because it's the final chapter and like at the end i was just so amped up i'm like i want to see what's next Mm -hmm. and uh you know now it's like oh it's over i don't really want to see what's next and this movie suffers from the same problem that Return of the King did where it has like four endings and it's oh. like okay why we didn't we didn't stop yet wait i thought we were done no we're not done yet okay we got another scene okay now we have another epilogue okay um but what was really good about this was uh all of the people in this series got their moments no matter who your favorite character is Everybody basically got their moment to shine in here, mm-hmm. um, except for little BB. Jeffrey Wright didn't get a whole lot to do in here, which is too bad. But everyone else got their moment. My favorite, of course, is Joe because I love crazy psycho axe wielding Joe because she's hilarious. Um, so there was some good stuff with her in there. Finnick uh, is uh, for anyone who is a fan of Finnick, uh, Castor and Pollux they get great stuff to do. Uh, and of course, Miss Katniss Everdeen herself um, is, she's great in this movie. And there's actually a couple moments where I'm like, oh yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is a really great actress. Yeah. And, and that's what I've heard some people say that, you know, it's, uh, of everyone in the movie, there's a lot of talented people like Woody Harrelson, uh, you know, <clears throat> she's in it, but she really does stand out um, because she does bring that kind of Oscar caliber uh, level of acting to the role. Yeah, she does really great, and this was actually the first time in all four movies where I didn't hate Josh Hutcherson and think he was just a bump on a log. So, <laughs> um, congratulations, Josh Hutcherson, you won me over. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm finally on Team Peta uh, at the end here. So, uh, yeah, I so I thought this was great. Uh, if you're looking for a holiday popcorn flick. You couldn't do much better than this, except, of course, Star Wars is coming out in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> thank you. Quiet from the peanut gallery. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, uh, 
this is this is great. Um, but I'm at seven and a half out of ten. So go see it. If if you love the Hunger Games, you've probably already seen it. Uh, we're probably going to go see it again. My wife loves Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. I love Hunger Games. We'll probably go see it again. But yeah, this is this is good. Yeah, well, again, it's definitely one on my list. Uh, the, the the final book in the series, Mockingjay, was my favorite book. I know a lot of people didn't really feel that way, but um, especially the end, the way the kind of ambiguous, um, the ambiguous morality, even of the quote unquote good guys, comes into play. I think that's really cool. Well, that's that was my favorite thing about it, and and something that I thought that they actually did really well, both in the first movie and in this. Although I think they did it slightly better in part one than this, where the whole time I was incredibly suspicious of both Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I'm like, what are their real motives? What's really going on here? And when you get to that final climax uh, with, uh, with Julianne Moore as president coin, and you see what is really going on, it's, it's great. And, and the fact that, You've got this very young cast, but then you've also got it anchored by these pros mm-hmm. like like Hoffman and Moore and man Donald Sutherland. Man Donald Sutherland does a great job in this. I mean, he's done a great job the entire series, but uh, those three really, you know, shine showing how awesome they are. And it's it's sad that this is probably the last movie we'll ever have a Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't yeah. think there's anything else out there, but um, what a way to go out, man. And uh, this is this is really great. Cool. So, yeah, Mockingjay, definitely one to go check out. Um, now, how did you feel about Victor Frankenstein? Because I've been seeing a lot of mixed stuff about this one. Well, Victor Frankenstein is a very mixed bag. <laughs> uh, so, it's that... pretty much, are you saying it's a Frankenstein monster of a movie? Uh-huh. <laughs> Not, not quite. <laughs> it, For, forgive me, I'm really high on cold medicine. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, but okay, let me let me run down this cast right here because this is really impressive. You've got Daniel Radcliffe yep, playing grown up Harry Potter. Yeah, of Harry Potter, Harry Potter of Harry Potter. Yes, James McAvoy as Victor Frankenstein. Awesome, Professor X. Uh, tons of other stuff. Really talented. Uh, Jessica Brown Findlay, uh, who was Lady Sybil on Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. super classy, um, and Andrew Scott as a uh, as a hellbent Scotland Yard inspector coming after them for doing these unnatural experiments. That's a great cast, right? Oh yeah, those those four could sit around reading the phone book, and I'd be entertained. I wish they had sat around and <laughs> read the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> because um, otherwise we get what is, you know, very heavy on style and not very much on substance retelling of the Frankenstein story. It's very interesting. There's a twist. Igor is not a hunchback. Uh, he's a he's a circus performer who Victor Frankenstein rescues from the circus and says, Oh, you're not a hunchback. You've got an untreated abscess on your back, and I'm going to put you in a back brace, and I'm going to put you in gentlemen's clothes, and they're essentially equals. And he's got so he, he my fair lady him. Yeah, he, he my fair lady him, but he's also uh, he was kind of a medical genius. Like he'd spent 
because he was the hunchback, uh, he also kind of doubled as the circus's doctor. And so he has this, like, uh, encyclopedic knowledge of anatomy and physiology mm-hmm. uh, and is a real genius at a lot of this stuff. And so Frankenstein recruits him and says, I've got this great idea about how we can turn death into life. And, uh, and of course, not enough wackiness ensues. There's some good parts in this, but like I said, more style than substance. Great mm-hmm. cast. Wish they'd been given more to do. Um, straight down the middle, 5 out of 10. Um, catch this when it comes out on Redbox, maybe. Uh, watch it if it's on cable on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, catch it on Netflix, but... Uh, otherwise, there's so many other good movies out there. Um, and why this is coming out at Thanksgiving and not Halloween, I have no clue. Like, if, if this had come out in the dregs of October, I would have been like, oh, yes, go see this, because it's so much better than everything mm-hmm. else. Because that would have been true. But when you're going up against some of the some of the best Oscar-worthy movies of the year and some of the best popcorn flicks of the year... right. There's just no reason to go check this out. So, cool. Well, speaking of a better movie, uh, we've got Disney Pixar's The Good Dinosaur. Uh, so this uh, tells the story of what would have happened, you know, 100 million years ago if the asteroid that came and hit Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs uh, instead kind of harmlessly passed by and was just a shooting star in the sky. You know, where where would evolution have taken us and what would happen with the dinosaurs and the humans so sure enough, um, a couple million years later, um, <clears throat> we're introduced to a family of apatosaurs who are have a farm and they they uh, they're kind of working together to you know plant crops and do all kinds of fun things and store food for the upcoming winter. And it is here that we meet Arlo, who is the youngest apatosaur. His parents are uh, Jeffrey Wright, voicing Papa Henry, Francis McDormand as Mama Ida, and then he has his younger brother and sister, or older brother and sister, excuse me. Arlo is, is kind of the runt of the family. He's small, he's shorter, he really can't do quite as much as his siblings can. And everyone's trying to leave their mark. Um, they literally make a mark on their kind of grain storage silo. Um, and he's doing everything he can to actually kind of become part of the family and become useful. Um, without giving too much plot away, he one um, day he falls in the river, gets swept downstream, um, and wakes up, doesn't know where he is, where to get home. And beforehand, he actually discovered a little uh, human <clears throat> who he named Spot. Uh, it's a cave boy. He's kind of an early evolution of a, of a person. And the unlikely pair team up to get home. And again, I don't want to go into too much detail because a lot of cool stuff happens. Uh, basically, wackiness ensues. So, Andy, I know you liked this a little more than I did. So, um, you took your kids. What did your kids think about it? My kids went crazy for this. I mean, if there's one thing that is catnip to small children, like universally, it's dinosaurs. And this is this is a really simple story. This is a boy and his dog. It's just the boy happens to be a dinosaur. And the dog happens to be a little human. And it's really cute in that way. And so this is that kind of perfect Disney magic, throw in some, some Jack London, some like white Fang. Mm -hmm. uh, And, and you just have a really simple story told very well in kind of a different context. 
And in that sense, I thought it was brilliant, uh, but not as genius as, say, uh, Inside Out, which we got earlier this year. That feels like the more mature, more grown-up movie. This is the crowd pleaser, the popcorn flick, the kids' movie. Um, that's just a lot of fun, and there's not a ton more to see uh, than than just that. That yeah. being said, there's a really cute heart to this, and there is a scene in this where Arlo is trying to explain family to his little critter, and if that doesn't make you tear up just a little bit, yeah, it yeah, it, it's just gorgeous. I mean, Pixar, it's not fair. You're not allowed to make so many great movies when every other digital animation studio just doesn't like can't figure it out at all. You're not allowed to have two hit movies in a year. <laughs> You're making everyone else look bad. You're wrecking the curve for everyone. Stop it. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was great. Not Pixar's best, but a really enjoyable film. Yeah, and it's you mentioned earlier, you know, with having Pixar releasing two movies this year, it's I was talking with uh, Brian Young and some other friends, and when Pixar does, does movies, you almost have to, you almost judge them on two levels. Because if any other studio had made this, this good dinosaur, it probably would have been an eight or a nine. Um, I'm, you know, but because it's Pixar, it's held to a higher standard, and especially after coming on the heels of Inside Out, which is, you know, if not their best cartoon or best movie, um, it's also one of the best of the year. You know, I'll put that up against. Uh, any other any other movie out there right now? Agreed. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate that you have to compare the two. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like you said, it, it's great for kids. Uh, you know, boy and his dog type story. It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, they finally. I mean, there are shots you know because it's very much uh, pastoral and foresty and in the mountains and on cliffs, and it looks like they just filmed. You know, they the wild open you know, and, and um, some of those scenes with the water were just absolutely fantastic the way they made it, you know, really look like water. It was, it was hard pressed to tell that it wasn't, it was, that it was computer animation. Um, that said, I think they focused a bit too much on the technical aspects of it because it was almost distracting. It was almost like, oh, look what we did. We made this look so awesome and realistic. Um, to me, at least, it kind of detracted from what was going on because it was almost like too shiny and nice. And it wasn't that, you know, I don't think that animation can go to that level, but it almost seemed like they were showing off. And so that was a bit of a distraction for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's kids are gonna love it. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's a really cool scene with Sam Elliott as uh, the head of a T Rex family, who oh, are basically cowboys herding longhorn sheep. Um, Steve Zahn comes in as a pterodactyl. I mean, it, there's lots of really funny, cute moments in it. Um, and of course, we at the very very end, you know, we we learn a lesson, and there's the you know the parting of the two friends. Um, you know, again, kind of like the. Um, Jack London type thing you were talking about, but yeah, I liked it a lot. I don't think I liked it as much as you did, um, but that being said, it's still a good movie. Um, it'll be, and I think we'd be, I would at least probably be shining its praises higher if it wasn't coming from Pixar. I think that's fair, and I mean, you nailed it. That the part with uh, Sam Elliott and the Tyrannosaurs, it's that is my favorite part of the entire movie um, because. I have I rip on movies that do this where it's like they don't know what they're doing, and then there's this 
middle part that suddenly like it turns into a totally different movie for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. except pixar can get away with that if you remember toy story 3 they did the exact same thing and suddenly the toys were in the great escape for 20 minutes and it was so good uh this movie turns into a full-blown western for 20 minutes where they're out trying to get the Longhorns back from those cattle rustlers and and Sam Elliott sitting around the campfire telling stories about, about how he got his scars. And- <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think they probably did spend uh, maybe a little bit too much time over-polishing this. This movie had been in development for a long, long, long time all sorts of script problems and they changed directors and all kinds of, yeah, that was, yeah. it was, was it 2013? It was supposed to come out originally. I know it was, bad. it got pushed back a lot. It's been a long time. Uh, so I, I think that the animators probably like, well, I guess we could go in and do some more digital shading on this. <laughs> because I didn't pay by the hour folks. <laughs> yeah. And then, but before we go away from the, the visuals, there's this great reverse Jaws reference at one point. Yes. Where uh, out there's this cloud bed up up at the top where it's completely flat, and then you see these these uh, these little points sticking down around it, and they start circling, and the music starts going, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is Jaws. <laughs> and my, and my seven year old son Jackson leans over to me. He's like, Dad. It's just like Jaws. And I'm like, I know. I know it's just like Jaws. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know what's horrible is uh, I was talking with our, our good friend Brooks the other day. Um, I just literally three days ago finally got the Jaws reference in Finding Nemo. <laughs> That's a it, good one too. Yeah, because you know the, the, they go to the, the sharks and they're the Sharks Anonymous and the, the, the Sharks main Bruce. And that was the name of the, the shark from Jaws. So I felt really stupid because it was – two of my favorite movies of all time and I should have caught that reference where I first saw it but yeah that you know speaking about Jaws and everything else with Pixar that's how that kind of ties in so yeah um so where where are you at with this one yeah I'm at seven and a half out of ten I agree if any other studio had put this out this I would probably be like oh this is a nine out of ten movie I expect a little bit better out of Pixar but it's still really really good and you're not gonna go wrong taking your kids to go see this yeah, and I, I'm at a seven. Um, like I said, like it's it, for um, any other movie, probably be eight or nine. For Pixar, this is about a five and a half, a six. But you you got to be generous and combine the two together because it's almost like you said, it's almost unfair that we're getting such wonderful animation and such wonderful stories from you know one studio who, aside maybe from Cars two, really has never had a flub. So <clears throat> they just they've set the bar so high that. You know, where do you go from there? Um, the one thing I do want to mention before we go on to Creed uh, was make sure you get there on time uh, for the sh- animated short at the beginning. Uh, Sanjay's super team. Uh, oh, it's basically, no. it's a, a young Hindu boy and his dad, and he wants to watch. The kid wants to watch TV. The dad wants to pray, so he forces his son to come pray with him. And then we'll just say that the kid imagines all kinds of crazy things happening with the e- the evil gods fighting the good gods. Um, it's really cute. It's really fun and. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I actually like that a bit better than the movie. <laughs> that was really great. And then at the end, you get to see grown up Sanjay and his and his mm-hmm. dad, and his real life dad, and you're just like, oh, that's that's real. That's, <laughs> it's true. I I love that, and I love it when a movie or a show is like 
effortlessly uh, multicultural and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like we have to be taught a lesson. And it's like, no, this is just, this is just a true story about a kid's experience wanting to do the most universal thing ever. I want to watch cartoons and dad's busy doing adult things. Yeah. And it was, it was great. I loved it. I, yeah, this was great. I have to say I liked Lava better just because I love that song. But and see, that's so funny because like we when we talked about it, like I Lava just didn't do it for me. So, <laughs> but um, I, I know how much you like that one. So, yep. So there we go. Um, anyway, let's let's talk about Creed. Yes, First of let's. all, um, everyone, do yourself a favor and go and watch the Funny or Die video of Scott Stapp reviewing the movie Creed. Because oh, really? the joke is Scott Stapp, the lead singer of the horrible rock band Creed, thinks that the movie Creed is about the band Creed. And so <laughs> he's really confused. And he's like, first of all, Creed stars Michael B. Jordan, who's black. And none of the members of Creed are black. So I don't get that. <laughs> and he's like, this movie doesn't have enough epic guitar solos or people singing on top of cliffs. <laughs> but he gives it four out of five with arms wide open. So he, he <laughs> like the movie Creed. That even is amazing. Though, yeah, even though he's not sure it's exactly the real story of Creed. Um, the real story of Creed, this is the seventh in the Rocky franchise. So let me review a tiny little bit of Rocky history for you because I think this is a movie that people who are not fans of the Rocky franchise could walk into and be okay with. Um, There's a lot here for fans of the franchise, but this is everything you need to know about Rocky. Rocky won. Rocky is an up-and-coming fighter. He wants to fight the champ, who is Apollo Creed. He fights Apollo Creed, loses to Apollo Creed. Rocky II, he trains even harder, goes back, rematch against Apollo Creed, the champ, beats Apollo Creed. Rocky 3 gets challenged by Mr. T. Uh, Apollo Creed comes out of retirement to train Rocky to be better, and he fights Mr. T and wins. Rocky 4, Ivan Drago from Russia is challenging them and says that he's the best boxer in the world. Apollo Creed comes out of retirement. Ivan Drago kills Apollo Creed in the ring with a knockout punch and so in an act of vengeance Rocky goes to Russia and fights Ivan Drago Rocky 5, some nonsense about street fighting, I don't know, Rocky has brain damage <laughs> I try to forget Rocky 5 um, I like Star Trek 5 <laughs> the 6th Rocky movie, Rocky Balboa um, I remember being good uh, and it had Jess from the Gilmore Girls in it, and that's about all I remember as well, except it being a, a fairly good movie. So here we are. Creed is about uh, the son of Apollo Creed, who we meet in the very first moments of the film. Uh, he's actually his illegitimate son, and his mother died uh, when he was very young and bounced around in foster care and uh, in and out of youth penitentiaries because uh, the kid likes to fight. Um, as, a, as a relatively young kid, Apollo Creed's wife, played by Felicia Rashad, uh, finds him and says, you were my husband's son 
I'm going to adopt you and take care of you. So uh, he's grown up knowing he's a Creed uh, and watching his dad's fights on YouTube and shadow boxing against them. Uh, he loves to fight. He goes down to Mexico on the weekends and uh, um, and fights in, in amateur bouts, uh, but has a full-time job at a financial services company. And so decides to leave all of that behind, move from Los Angeles to Philadelphia, and beg Rocky to come out of retirement to train him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky is running the restaurant. He's out of the world of boxing. But uh, he's like, hey, do this do this for me. He keeps calling him Unc, uh, like he's his uncle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he really, he really wants to get trained. And no one will train him uh, unless he trades in on the Apollo Creed name. But even if he does trade in on that name, then no one wants to train him because uh, he's... Those are like too big of shoes to fill. Like, I don't know. Think about if this were a real person, this would be like the son of Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. or uh, George Foreman or, or someone like that who was, you know, undisputed as one of the greatest ever. So um, Rocky inevitably says, okay, yeah, I'll train you. And, uh, but he says, I'm going to fight under my own name uh, under my mom's name, which is Johnson. Uh, now his first name is Adonis, and he goes by Don. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. He wants to go by the name Don Johnson. <laughs> that, that's never brought up in the entire movie, but that bugged me the whole time. I'm like, why is everybody calling him Don and Donnie if he's going by Johnson? That's stupid. Like Adonis Creed, that is the coolest name ever. Like <laughs> just just own that, buddy. Um, anyway. So, uh, but this, this follows your fairly typical kind of boxing film, uh, Rocky esque trajectory and everything happens exactly as you'd expect. So, you know, that's a problem. It's, it's kind of predictable. It's also kind of long and that's, that's also a problem. I mean, this, this comes in, uh, at, like two and a half hours. Um, so oh, wow. It, yeah, it's kind of epic. It's a pretty good movie. Um, but stick around because it goes the distance and it finishes strong. Um, you just have to sit through 12 different training montages. Well, it's a Rocky <laughs> movie. You have to have that. Yeah, exactly. It's a Rocky movie. So, of course, they're going to do lots of training montages and it's not unenjoyable to watch it just takes a while to get there but man the last like five ten minutes of this movie is it's what this franchise is made of and it's what is worth sticking around for Mm -hmm. it's there's there's one final moment right before the beginning of the final round of the fight of the final fight and it's just they share this moment it's it's just perfect and uh i i i won't give it away because it's just it's really great and i wish the entire movie had been as good as that um because it's not yeah this is you know your mileage may vary 
if you like boxing movies, I kind of do like boxing movies. We've talked about this. This will probably do well for you. If you really like the Rocky franchise, there's a lot in here that you're really going to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's tons of little nods and winks to other things in the series. It, It never gets quite so silly or stupid as a lot of the other Rocky movies have done. Um, and, and overall it, it takes itself fairly seriously and, and it does very well. Um, I should mention that the writer and director here, uh, previously worked with Michael B. Jordan on Fruitvale Station, yes, which is just an absolutely fantastic movie. And if you haven't seen Fruitvale Station before, I think you should actually go see Fruitvale Station, not Creed, but Go see Creed. Um, I'm at a, I'm at a seven and a half out of ten. Same place I am with uh, the Good Dinosaur. I think this is a very good movie. Um, it's it's just not like oh my gosh wow until that final five ten minutes. And yeah, then see that's how I felt about uh, Southpaw because even though Southpaw had kind of a a bit of a a troubled middle that just kind of seemed to stretch on and was you know the the, the trials of Job kind of like. Um, Southpaw is one of the best movies of the year that I've seen. So you would say Southpaw is a better movie? I think Southpaw is the better movie. This is, I mean, it it mirrors its story fairly well in that it's trying to trade in on the nostalgia of its forebears um, while also trying to break new ground. And it, it kind of does both, but it isn't its own thing. Southpaw is its own story. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Michael B. Jordan's a great actor and uh, you know, I, but he's capable of so much more. Uh, again, Fruitvale Station. Um, he's never really asked to go as far as Jake Gyllenhaal did in Southpaw. So that was probably the better movie, but this is still a very good movie. And, but it's a popcorn movie. Um, you know, it's the the exact same thing that I have to say about Mockingjay and about The Good Dinosaur. These are popcorn movies. Go and enjoy them. They're fun. Uh, but there's not going to be as much substance. If mm-hmm. you want the substance, go back to the last episode where we talked about all of those Oscar bait movies. Yeah. So, cool. Well, yeah, overall, you know, pretty good movies this week. Um so yeah, we got that going on. Uh, also, though, we do want to spend a couple minutes uh, on our Star Wars countdown, the countdown to Force Awakens, um, and we're going to start with this week the f- first movie in the original trilogy, Star Wars: A New Hope. Now, didn't you say this is like your second favorite movie of all time? This is my second favorite movie of all time because we're going to discuss my first favorite movie of all time next week. <laughs> I love Star Wars so much. I we. We had Star Wars on VHS. I still remember exactly what the tape looked like. It had a label on it, and it originally said blank, and then blank was crossed out, and underneath it, it said Star Wars. And that's really funny, because we had the same thing. Um, we, we, My parents were kind of late adopters to technology, so when my grandma passed away was when we got our first VCR. I think it was back like in 84, 85, and we had recorded it off TV, and we did the thing where... You know, you back in the day, kids. This was what we used to do. 
a movie would come on TV and it always have like five hours of commercials. So you'd record and then you'd pause when the commercial starts and then you hit record again when it was over. But half the time you'd forget and miss like a minute or two. <laughs> so our copy of Star Wars was the same thing. It was, had like 50 things I had been recorded on it and then finally just hit Star Wars. And I think probably 15 minutes of the movie was missing because we didn't start it up right away. Yeah, so I, I don't remember a time in my life before Star Wars. Some of my earliest memories are watching Star Wars um, and then when it was over, rewinding it, watching it again. Oh, yeah. Rewinding it and watching it again over and over and over and over and over again. And my mom's like, are you watching that Howling and Blasting again? <laughs> Still watching Howling and Blasting, Mom. And to this day, uh, when, when Mom was here for Thanksgiving, uh, we were playing Battlefront. We were still calling it Howling and Blasting. Um, <laughs> no, this is such an amazing, amazing film. Um, it's... It, it's unlike almost anything that has ever come before or since. Especially if you go back and you look at what was being made in the 70s. I mean, we had really gritty stuff. You had uh, The Godfather, you had Serpico, Doctor Noon. You know, that's where cinema was in the 70s. And then along comes George Lucas and this crazy idea about a, a moisture farmer kid on a desert planet who uh, finds a laser sword and yeah, and suddenly he's the savior of the universe and he's got to blow up a giant space station and there's giant talking walking carpet monsters and a there's a bug eye monster and and a garbage bin. <laughs> it's like how weird is this? And it just worked so perfectly. And so much of that was um, because Lucas was uh, a student of Joseph Campbell and this idea of the hero's journey and uh, the hero of a thousand faces. And that really there are only a few very distinct archetypal stories in all of history. And this story of the hero's journey is one of the most basic stories. And you have the young kid of destiny, the old wizard who puts him on his path, um, the the villain who he has to defeat, and, uh, and, and there you go. And it's just so simple, and yet it's so complicated. Um, this movie is just madness, and it's beautiful, and it's... Uh, the the things that they had to invent to be able to make this work. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's just crazy. And what, and what Lucas was trying to pull from, I, I mean, when, when he took the, the original cut of this into Fox executives to say, I need more money to finish these special effects. They had pasted in, um, old footage of world war two aerial dogfights where he wanted to put uh, scenes uh, during the, the trench run to show, like, this is what I want. Yeah. And this is how they were trying to create this stuff. It, it's uh, And, you know, I mentioned this last week that, like, this was a continual process where Lucas kept going back to Fox and, like, I need more money to be able to do this. <laughs> um, 
and and uh, thank goodness he did uh, because this was I mean this was a huge gamble at the time so much money a huge budget on this um, and the people at Fox had no idea what he was doing and they all thought he was crazy and he kind of was but we got this amazing movie out of it exactly I mean before before Star Wars you know the last kind of big um, sci-fi movie was 2001 a space odyssey so i mean like star trek came came later on so this really was um the uh, the first attempt at doing this kind of new almost radical storytelling um and it's so interesting you, you mentioned you know the different you know the, the special effects because um when he founded industrialized magic you know, they they created these new ways of doing um special effects and yep. the zero gravity dog fights and um, yeah, the cool. I mean, we could go spend hours talking about it. Um, if you own the Star Wars Blu-ray or the DVD box set, um, there's a great, gosh, I think it's like three or four hour long documentary called um, "From Star Wars to Jedi," I believe is what it's called. Yeah, and that uh, just really goes in depth. But yeah, trying to do that. Um, I remember the. I think one of the most memorable scenes for me was when they first walk in the cantina at Mos Eisley, and you just have all these crazy aliens like you've never seen before and you know now that we know them as Thorians and you know the different kind of names and everything but literally when they you, you realize what kind of world you're in when you look around and you've got a bug-eyed alien sitting next to a hammerhead sitting next to Ponda Baba who's there with a scarred guy who's you know got the death warrants and everything and everyone's just chilling getting drunk and you kind of get that sensation of like holy crap what universe am I in? This is insane. Um, but yeah, just we mentioned before that uh, last episode how much that George Lucas really is a visionary and has the ability to <clears throat> create these awesome worlds. And nowhere else is it fully more fully realized than in Star Wars, um, because again, it was his first attempt, his first try, <clears throat> and you know, to see the wildly at it. And what was so amazing? I mean, his, this world building that that he was able to do um on top of that to layer in characters that we cared about who i mean like if you if you think about it like why do we care about this little tiny blue and white trash can robot who speaks in in beeps and boops and Mm -hmm. that's it but everybody loves r2d2 it like taps into something like just fun and childlike and primal and even though like we kind of hate C-3PO because he's prissy and fussy and whatever we, we still all I don't know we we just love those stupid droids and man Han Solo like how do you create a better character than that the the space pirate um we thought first and he, he's just He's just great, and and from from moment one when he walks in there, Harrison Ford owns that movie. Oh yeah, it just he's larger than life, and he knows it. And it's his ship is fast, and and he'll tell you exactly how fast it is, even though that explanation doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. It's so fun, and it's like now. Okay, I'm gonna take a couple 
seconds to complain about Lucas because we we did this last time. Like he's a great visionary director and he's great at these big ideas in this world building, but that script, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some real doozies in there. <laughs> But I was going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it is really cool because, um, yeah, as whiny and as horrible as Luke is, you know, because at the very beginning of the movie, he does start to evolve and become this you know larger than life character and become he could be see as someone who is going to become the savior of the universe. But he's got to start out as a bratty teenager who is upset that he has to drink blue milk and can't go join the rebellion. Um, so, it, it, yeah, Han Solo, I think, always has been kind of everyone's favorite character because, you know, he was the, the swashbuckling, you know, <clears throat> kind of scoundrel, <laughs> I guess is the, the yep. proper word for it. Um, but the one thing I, I do want to mention before we go too much further or kind of wrap this up is that um, how utterly important all the work of Ralph McQuarrie was on this. He was the. Oh my uh, gosh! Yes, he was uh, one of the designers, and if you just Google Google him, I mean, all of his artwork will come up. But I mean, like he pretty much um, invented the way the characters look, like C three PO, Darth Vader, R two D two, Chewbacca. He designed these characters. Yoda. I mean, he his work on this movie, especially, and then the ones that come. Um, I mean, these would be completely different animals, and maybe wouldn't have even been as successful. Um, had he not been the one to step in and do so much design work. So um, he also did stuff for uh, E.T., Close Encounters. But yeah, if, if you're not as familiar with Ralph McQuarrie, go Google him, look him up, because um, he, you could almost say he contributed as much to the story um, as Lucas did. It's it's one of those Stan Lee, Jack Kirby moments. Mm-hmm. Um, although ostensibly Jack Kirby maybe needs more credit than Stan Just a little bit, yeah. Some of that. But, uh, but just as that great art meets great story, yeah, Macquarie is amazing, and some of that art is just... It's, it's just beautiful art. You go look at um, the emotion that is represented in his original conceptual design of Luke facing off against Darth Vader and what they look like, and Luke is in this... Like uh, what looks like a World War One gas mask, and they've both got lightsabers, and it just is—it's just great art on top of everything else. Yeah, Macquarie, um, it's Lucas was a great synthesizer, is what this really comes down to. Um, he was able to take stuff that he loved from Kurosawa, um, especially Kurosawa's uh, Fiddle Fortress. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he borrowed a lot of story elements. He didn't rip it off, but there's definitely some homaging going on there uh, and some basic design elements in there. Uh, Kurosawa, um, old uh, 30s serials, Flash Gordon, um, Star Trek. um, It's all in there. And he just makes this great stew out of it uh, into this beautiful thing. And it's it's changed my life for the better. Star Wars is almost like my second religion. Uh, <laughs> no, it it really truly is. And Star Wars has um, 
Star Wars has been there for me and has meant different things at different times. Um, for those of you who listened to the, the Geek Show podcast earlier this year, they talked about something, um, a, a twin sons moment mm-hmm. when when Luke is off and he feels destiny calling towards him and he's looking off at those twin sons. Um, I felt that. You know, I've felt that this year. Um, you know, I felt not only a twin sons moment, but I felt more of a um, kind of the opposite, the looking over the charred corpses of Baru and Owen Lars in your, in your former homestead and being like, there's nothing for me here now. I have to move on, and I've got to do for me and mine, and I, it's time for me to face my destiny. Um there's so much here in what is the most simple story ever. And that's why Star Wars is amazing is because it it continues to grow. And every time I watch it, I enjoy something different and I learn something new. And this is a film that I have seen literally a thousand or more times. Mm-hmm. If I literally count up how many times I've seen this movie... Because there were years, as I mentioned as a child, where I watched it and then would rewind it and watch it and rewind it. So we're talking about three or four viewings a day from the time I was like four or five to the time I was probably 10 or 11. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's in my marrow and I could, you know, no more stop thinking about Star Wars than I could stop breathing oxygen. It's just it's that integral to to who I am. Yeah, and I think that's that's one reason. Um, you know, we just need to we need to be careful, and, that, and by we I mean everyone going into these new ones because you know this nostalgia and this part of you know Star Wars being part of your childhood growing up. It's it's a very very powerful thing, and um, we've talked before about the fact that people bring that with them and they expect everything else that's going to come out with it to be as good or if not better than what came before um, and for all we know it, it very well could be we could be getting the best Star Wars movies we've ever seen coming out but um, just keep in mind that you know everything all this stuff is being looked at through the rose tinted glasses of nostalgia and you know and also like you said it's, it's in your marrow it's part of you it's because it was you you're growing up um, so Enjoy that for what it is, love it for what it is, but understand that you know you are looking at at it that way, um, and that not everything going forward is going to be as magical because you can't ever have that experience again. I'll never, you know, they always say like you know if you could go back in time and re-experience something for the first time, what would it be? And I think the Star Wars trilogy would be the one for me because there's so many moments that like the first time you see it, you'll never forget. Like you'll never forget, you know, Alderaan getting blown up. You'll never forget. The trench runs. You'll never forget the, the um, Darth Vader Obi Wan scene. I mean, there's so much there that you, you know, experience for the first time. Um, that even though it's magical, the, ne- the next you know, thousand times, um, it would still really cool to sit down with someone who's never seen it and like watch them react the way you did when you were, you know, four, five, or six. Yeah, it's it's really amazing, and and I've been lucky enough to be able to have certain friends who I've been able to introduce to Star Wars for the first time. And it's, it's a magical experience. And I agree. We can't, 
I don't think we can place our expectations that high. And I really, as as much hype as there is, um, you know, we're going to be getting one of these new Star Wars movies basically every year from now until they stop making money. <laughs> um, and they're, they're not all going to be great. I do, however, have hope because hearing the way J.J. Abrams talks about Star Wars, he likes it the same way that we do and for a lot of the same reasons that we do. And he gets these very basic things, the Joseph Campbell aspects and that Star Wars was great because it was able to synthesize uh, Kurosawa and old sci-fi and Star Trek and why that was all important. Mm -hmm. Um, Which leads me to my main piece of speculation about this next movie is that in a sense, this is going to be a retelling of Star Wars that this is going to be a prototypical hero's journey. It's going to be that Joseph Campbell journey. Mm-hmm. And um, so I could be completely wrong about that. I think I'm not. But I think viewing Star Wars through that lens is helpful because we uh, already understand that pedigree. Um, if it's not, if it's something completely different, that I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy to be wrong and I'll just have my mind blown. Um by by J.J. Abrams because he didn't uh, because he did something completely outside the box, but that would be a very Star Wars thing to do. And if that's the case, um, I'm all for it. And and I'm you know I'm excited uh, with whatever that configuration is. Cool. So yeah. So um, you know again, I would say easily one of the best movies, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I don't know if it's top two but I know for me it's definitely top ten um, and it's kind of hard because you almost you almost have to include all three movies I kind of try to consider them as like one umbrella because trying to pick you know which one's your favorite I mean I can, I can pick which one of the three is my favorite but trying to say that you know picking one of them as a better movie than say something else is almost like trying to pick your favorite kid because um, in a sense it is one story being told in three parts so um but yeah, there we go. So that'll wrap us up for this week. Um, next week, it's kind of slow. I mean, everything's kind of creeping out the last couple of movies before the holidays. Um, we've got Krampus, which is the horror movie based on the um, the evil demon Krampus that comes to town and steals children or stuff. I don't, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the, uh, the legend, but it is directed by the guy who did Trick or Treat, which is one of my favorite Halloween movies. Um, and then Spike Lee's new movie, I believe it's pronounced Chirac, comes out. Um with John Cusack, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Jennifer Hudson, and some other people. So that'll be interesting. And of course, we'll be here with those and uh, part three of our Star Wars retrospective, which is my favorite one, um, The Empire Strikes Back. Yep. And as a special treat, we're gonna we're gonna do this live. Uh, we're gonna I'm gonna be in. Yes, that's right. This week, and we're gonna we're actually gonna be in the same room. Uh, to do all of this, so I don't know if I'll get to see uh, Krampus. Um, I, They're not screening it up here, so maybe we can see it together when you come visit. <laughs> uh, I get to see The Revenant on Tuesday, and I don't know when I'm allowed to talk about it, but maybe we can talk about The Revenant if 
I'm allowed to. <clears throat> Hopefully, yeah. That's that's <laughs> what I'm, I'm really excited for. Um, Inuri 2, of course, did Birdman this year, uh, which is my favorite movie of last year. So I'm very excited to see what he can do with that. So, yep. um, again, that'll take us to the end of this episode. So hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. And may the force be with you. Always. Ha, 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 ha.